Hello and welcome to episode 119 of the Knit British podcast. It's lovely to have you around. Uh, it's the beginning of August. Where is this year going, guys? My goodness me, it seems no time at all since it was the beginning of the year and now we're sort of looking almost towards the end of the year. Don't ever say I'm a glass half empty kind of person, but it does does kind of feel like that. August to me means the last days of summer and it means a look towards the season that I love best uh, or the, the one of the seasons that I love best, which is autumn. But let's not get too autumn focused yet because there is still some summer left, I'm told. Thank you very much to all of you who uh, listened to the last episode on Click It Gloves. I am so happy that you found that so interesting. And that is something that I'm hoping to do a little bit more of. Uh, When I first started doing the podcast, um, way back when, uh, I had wanted to do some sort of archive-based focus well, I've talked a lot about history and heritage and things in the past. Uh, it's nice to to bring an archive element into it. The reason I was interested in an archive element is because when I graduated university, um, my course was in ethnology and I dealt a lot with archive fieldwork recordings and um, as well as doing my own fieldwork recordings and um, yeah and now I work in the archive that was the place where I did my my studies so I'm in a good position to be able to come back make good on that intention that I originally had so yeah um, I'm already thinking of a couple of uh, topics I'm off work today. I'm uh, not feeling so great. Uh, That is just what happens to me after uh, I expend a lot of um, time and energy. Uh, I was at Woolness Festival um, this weekend and not only was I there um, as as a punter, but on Sunday I had a Love Local Wool showcase area. Apologies for the boy racer in the background there, if you if you can hear that. It was held in the Biomedicine West Wing of the Life Science Centre in Newcastle. I brought a lot of swatches with me. I had a wool exploration info board where I had a few, just a few of our... Um, uh, this is where I stumble because I've lost all the words in my head. This is just part of that kind of <clears throat> exhaustion. Um, I had a wool exploration information board up where I just had a few of the collated reviews um, the, of the some of the beads that we've looked at in the past. And I had um, all of my polygons uh, of the wool exploration um pinned up and I had um, some wool tasting so I had six different single breed wools um, and in baskets and I had fleece balls of wool 
I had swatches because, as you know, I always say that wool, breed wool is not homogenous. We can't expect, um, you know, breed wool to be the same every single time because so much depends on, so much differs from sheep to sheep, flock to flock, and uh, depends on variables like climate and diet and geography. Um, so I wanted to show how different the same breed wool can be and that was really interesting for people and it was a really lovely event and I want to thank so much to all the people who came and squished wool and spent time there and asked questions and um, it was really lovely to meet um, some listeners and see some old friends and make some new friends and um uh, it was very lovely that some people were taking notes and things like that. It was really great. Um, I, you know, I really like doing events like this. Having Doing an event like this is just so much more engaging and, you know, it opens up uh, for great conversation and great questions. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was really wonderful. So um, thank you, everyone who came to see me at Woolness. And uh, Woolness was the first event... Uh, organised by Lucy uh, of Lucy Locketland and um, her co-organisers Ali and Holly and as I say it was held in the Life Science Centre in Newcastle a very central area um, you could just walk right off the train and you were pretty much there um, there were some brilliant vendors there it was really lovely I did not have very much time to spend uh, in the marketplace but uh, it was great to see Dodgson Wood so many of us who um, knitted with Dodgson Wood Cheviot in our uh, previous wool exploration um, uh, Maria was there with some incredible uh, teaswater yarns and her breed yarns and soap as well um, Helen Ripple's Crafts was there uh, Nick Yarns from the Plain was there it was lovely to see her and I bought some uh, Shetland Murat uh, spinning fibre from her uh, Lil Lilith was there Old Maiden Aunt and she was assisted by Jenny Reed, uh, which was fantastic Susie Vestry uh, from Lammermoor uh, Yarn was there Susie had an incredible couple of new yarns as you'll remember as I've mentioned her before in the podcast um, Susie has pedigree Shetlands and I met her first time a long time ago really now at the um, D-Stash event that Edinburgh Yarn Fest organised a few years ago and lovely to see her um, again and uh, say she has beautiful Shetland wool and hand dyed wool and now she has added um, a Shetland and Gotland four ply and a Shetland and Sh Scottish blackface yarn both just just lovely the Shetland and blackface just as soon as I put my hand on it oh my goodness it feels so airy and lofty beautiful natural colour as well and Susie also gave me very kindly a skein of the Shetland and Gotland four ply which I don't have next to me here um but it's a it, it's beautiful I think it's called the Hillfoot's flock and the fibre is not from her farm, uh, the Gotland, um, same with the, the, the blackface, but they come from 
the other fibres blended with her Shetland fibre comes from uh, the same area uh, in the Lammer Muirs, um, about six miles radius from one another, which is just incredible. Um, so it was fantastic to see her. Sue Horn from Hawkshaw Sheep. So it was great to see her. Larissa, travel knitter, was there. Uh, Border Tart was there and it was lovely to see her and I had so many people telling me how wonderful Lindsay's uh, mindful stitching um, class was. There were two classes that Lindsay did and everyone talking about how wonderful that class was. So if I had not been um, at the event myself, I would have been going to that class just sounded beautiful I sat next to the lovely Maylin Scott Blythe Spirit at the evening event on on the Saturday and she had taken that class and she was sitting stitching away um, on her um, work from that class as well as having other incredible vendors there like Midwinter Yarns and Botanical Yarns and um, great vendors like TJ Frog there were other vendors there who had other crafts and other incredible um, wares. So Little Wren Pottery were there. Um, I bought a mug, a little cup from there. I love stoneware and I have a Little Wren Pottery yarn bowl. Uh, Turn Studios were there. You'll remember that um, I interviewed Jack from Turn Studios on the podcast uh, a wee while ago. Bright Seed Textiles were there and they have incredible quotes, sort of paintings, but with uh, Harris Tweed and wool yarns. Uh, Helen Hardy Art was there. And uh, as well as having um, those vendors, main vendors, on the Saturday evening there were there was a pop-up market and there were other vendors there who were not vending at the main festival. And that was lovely. What a lovely selection of, of vendors they had on the Saturday evening. Unfortunately, there's um, no links on the, the website that I can find to tell you who the um, these vendor, the names of all these vendors. But I remember the Durham Distillery were there. Uh, Woolly Original Sarah was there. There was a cracking coffee um uh, roasters who were giving out samples, which was amazing. Beautiful ceramic buttons and jewellery by Ali Hall. Uh, there was jewellery by Pearls Bazaar and really beautiful um, hand-painted uh, bound notebooks of which I made sure that I made purchase of. Um, and on the Saturday evening itself, there was a, bu- a lovely buffet, really, really really nice buffet and there was a talk by uh, Knitted Nibbles, James McIntosh and his husband Dr Thomas er- uh, Thomas Ernst. Um, very interesting to learn how James overcame his depression with uh, initiation as, as he called it. It was really interesting although I have to say I was less impressed with the um, <laughs> the assertion that we kind of should be hiding our um, stash from our loved ones. There was quite a bit of that in the in the beginning. Uh, yeah, that's not my kind of bag. I've talked about how toxic I think that actually can be. Um, but uh, it was a really fantastic evening and I really enjoyed the event as a whole um, the weekend. And um, um, really, um, my hat is off to Lucy and Ali and Holly um, for a lovely event. I and also want to say thanks to them for doing some work to try and make their event a bit more inclusive and um, 
you may be aware that there were calls um, for them to do so. And um, I think that they definitely made steps in the right direction. And um, it was great to see um, Show Racism the Red Card um, information available at the um, in the social areas. We can always do more. We can always do more. Um, I also think I would like to thank them for how quick they were in responding to the situation. I d- I really don't want to give it give it any airwaves here. I don't know how to say this when I've got so few words in my brain just now, but um, there was somebody who's going to be teaching at Woolness um, who is, um, I guess, one of those kind of self-styled knitting celebs um, who made a disgraceful show at um, another yarn event with a woman of colour. I'm I'm very grateful that quickly um, they decided to cancel um, his class. I, there's no room for this. We cannot work towards positive change if things like that get brushed under the carpet. So I'm very glad um, that they had swift action on that. And I'm very hopeful that there will be a wholeness um, again. I, as I say, I, I just, I really enjoyed um, being, being there. And um, although I am struggling today with tiredness and um, getting over a migraine and you know not not just that but also you know as you know I do work I do work full-time so planning for an event like that takes you know a lot of extra time for me so I have been saying um, not unkindly uh, not unkindly meant but I have been saying um, I was looking forward to getting this weekend passed with just for my own um just for my own energy levels and things like that so um whilst i enjoyed wellness inordinately um i am very glad to be um home now and um it's another another good couple of months until the next yarn event that i will be at um which i can say more about later um and uh just rest assured that while i sound absolutely <laughs> shattered and feel it I do look after myself you know I I plan for feeling tired you know I I um I have an underactive thyroid and and um you know that deals with the immune system and it deals with energy and yeah so I have to watch my you know my fatigue and and things like that but I do look after myself and people do sometimes worry about about that kind of thing but um it's very nice of you to do that but you don't need to I do I do watch out for myself and as I say it's inevitable I can't I can't I can't cure it (laughs) so you take steps to look after yourself and this is this is one of them so uh again apologies for for sounding very tired and um and forgetting things um uh, as I as I go along today you'll you'll um forgive me one thing that I did to help um, with the podcasting process um, today, knowing that I was going to be tired, is that I, Louise of the recent past, has re- recorded the wool exploration part of this podcast already. Wasn't that nice of Louise of the past to do that? Um, but one of the other things I want to talk about 
before um, we move on to learning about the incredible Castlemock Murat sheep is um, something of a change that's going to be happening soon. I alluded to that um, in my last blog post about general rule being. Very soon, the Knit British podcast is going to change its name to Woolwork. For those who are at Woolness at the weekend, they were the first to hear that news and it was really nice to hear um, support for that. Uh, This is something that I have thought about for quite a long time, seriously thought about for almost a year now. Um, Ever since I started the Knit British podcast in 2014, but particularly since the EU referendum uh, and the ensuing Brexit omni-shambles, I have had conversations, emails and questions about uh, Knit British and its nationalistic tendencies. And I even got asked once, I think, I think their tongue was in their cheek, but they did say it's great that you're a British wool for British people. Well, that's bollocks. Um, <laughs> when I started Knit British, before there was a podcast, there was a blog. And as you know, I started the blog because I wanted to knit British for a year. I saw it as a challenge. I saw it as um, something that I could learn from and I would do it for a year and that knit British was the action um, that I intended to undertake for that year. When I started the podcast I quickly learned that the message needed to be love local wool but I've you know I felt that I've moved away from the name knit British in a lot of ways. Now I am not going to stop knitting with British wool that's not going to stop. Let's be clear about this. This podcast is political. It's political because making is political. And where that starts is what materials we choose to make with and where we choose to buy those materials from. I am a staunch believer that my own making should support British wool and I will always make with wool from the British Isles. That is still going to be a big part of this podcast. But however, as I said, the message is about supporting local, wherever your local is. You know, that was what quickly became clear that needed to be the message of the podcast. And if you need to know a little bit more about how Knit British started and um, a little bit more about advocating for local wool, you can listen to episode 114 of the Knit British podcast where I talk about that. So why not knit local? You might be asking yourself, well, yeah, why not? I am, you know, it's it's a good name, but I've changed a lot as a crafter since I started the blog and the podcast. I learned to spin, crochet a little, weave a little, 
you know, as I say, when I started Knit British, that was all I intended to do was knit British for a year. So while it refers to me, that term, and how I mostly choose to craft, it, it for a long time it's felt less and less like what I wanted to call the podcast. Something else that made me want to change the name is the fact that a few people tell me that they felt on the surface this podcast wasn't for them when they saw the title on the, on the lists of podcasts or on podcatchers. And that made me feel like I was excluding people. I'm sure, you know, you're, some of you will scoff and say, but they would feel differently when they listen. But I've always said right from the start that if just one person listened to this podcast and felt inspired to seek out local wool, then I would have done a great thing that I would have somehow achieved something. And I just keep thinking that if one person felt that the title was a barrier, that's like a knife. <laughs> that's a bit like a dagger in the heart. So... It's just another way to be a bit more inclusive. And, you know, I try to do that with everything, you know, I do in terms of community-based things, like knit-alongs or alongs, because, you know, you don't even have to knit. You can crochet or weave, usually, or sew. Um, You know, I always want to do the kind of knit-alongs where you can make anything that you want, any pattern that you want, um, usually there's a massive lead-in time and usually there's a really long deadline because we all knit at different levels and different speeds, don't we? But we all want to join in as well. Usually the only thing about taking part is that you have to try and use local wool um, to you or, or British wool if you can get it. It's the taking part and being part of something that I always think is important. Um, so I felt bad that there might have been people who saw Knit British on, a, on iTunes or whatever and thought, oh, that's not going to be for me. So it's still me who's hosting. It's still going to have wool exploration and good intention and podcast who is doing really well after her tooth op. Thanks to everybody who asked about that and for all the love that you sent her um, she really appreciated it and so did I um, we will still have our alongs in fact I think I came up with a new along this weekend and the Ravelry group um, and things like that and we will still put the focus on loving local wool so why wool work well, work is something that I talk about a lot, isn't it? I try to highlight the work of small wool producers in the UK and the importance to seek out the local wool producers where you are, the value of our skills and the work that we do as makers, the work that goes into maintaining sheep, creating yarn, dyeing, designing, creating. It all takes very dedicated work. And we can never underestimate the weight of work involved in creating our material. So wool work speaks a lot to me on that level. I hope 
it is also a bit more inclusive and welcoming to those who felt that the geographical limits of Knit British were a, bar a barrier before and for whom didn't feel it was aimed at them. And I hope you regular listeners will still feel it's homely and welcoming uh, in terms of, of what it says and that it's got a nice ring to it and the ideas of rule work are just as much as a hitching post for you as Knit British is and was. I definitely wouldn't have a sign to hold up above this podcast door if I didn't have you wonderful listeners um, and this community around my hearth. So, so thanks in advance for your understanding. And yes, I will still be looking at local fibre as well as wool. But you know, wool is my chosen material. It's my medium and it's where I'll always put focus. Of course we have incredible local fibre producers. And I will still, obviously, talk about those. But I guess where Knit British was a personal title. The wool in wool work is the personal for me. It just shows what I love, I guess. And love is really the reason, isn't it? Because I wouldn't do this podcast if I didn't love it. And the podcast is work too. And whilst I have enjoyed so much going back to doing a monthly podcast, which I've done since last year, rather than twice a week, twice a month, sorry, God, twice a week. <laughs> it's still, it's still focus and it's still work and I will I used to think why can't I why can't I balance the job that I do and love and my passion pod project um why can't I balance those equally and I realize that that is part of the work isn't it it's just being able to do it and enjoy it and sometimes doing it and enjoying it isn't about finding balance um it's just about um giving both focus when needed and so that is another reason that I take a, a pod break every year um, and so this year this will be the last podcast um, until October and then the podcast will come back as will work. The podcast name is going to change soon though you shouldn't need to do anything famous last words um my social media name will change soon um though i am really trying to detox from social media um <laughs> in some ways it's an enforced detoxification because um my this is first world problems right but my big button on my iphone doesn't work clicking it it does nothing um so i've got you know assistive touch uh on there until i can afford to buy a new phone um but it just makes everything slower so removing social media from the equation is actually really helpful but also it's really good to detox a bit from social media and um, i spoke a bit about that in my last blog post on wool being but the names will be changing on there too and 
the website will be slower to change for a few reasons. Um, you know, it just takes a bit longer to move things. Um, but um, I will inform you of those changes along the way. I want to thank you very much for listening to that uh, a little announcement. And um, also, again, I want to thank Louise of the recent past who wrote most of the notes um, on uh, that last bit because I don't think today I would have been able to find those words um, and, and relay them um, so fluidly. So <laughs> that Louise of the recent past is very kind, isn't she? <laughs> right, let's get on with our wool exploration. It was really interesting looking into Castle Milk Murat for this episode because I've always known that that A, Castle Milk Murat is a, a rare breed. So it's always been on my radar as being a rare breed. Uh, it is currently uh, in the at-risk category, which is 900 to 1500 uh, registered breeding yows. The other thing that I was always aware of about Casamilk Murat is that they were created in the 20th century from, well, definitely Shetland because Murat is in there. But that is really all, that was really as far as my knowledge went, other than they cre- made a beautiful sort of milk chocolate coloured yarn, which I have found actually isn't always milk chocolate coloured, um, but has always been brown for reasons that we will go into later. But again, as I say, that was my sort of my, my, most of my knowledge. The name, obviously, Casa Milk, it's not the district of Glasgow. Let's get that sorted because, but that would be kind of awesome, wouldn't it? They would be pretty hard sheep, I reckon. Anyway, uh, Castle Milk refers to the estate in Dunfrieshire where these sheep were essentially created and grazed. They were created by Sir John uh, or Jock Buchanan Jardine, who was the baronet of Castle Milk in the county of Dunfries. And as I say, that is 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 almost as as much as you will find out. And um there is a little bit of mystery almost around around the Castle Milk Murat. And as I say, I've I've had an interesting time reading up on on this breed of sheep. I should say that the the main text I'm using for uh, my Castle Milk Murat research 
this month is the, actually a book called The Manx Lofton Story, The Decline and Re- Revival of a Primitive Breed, written by Peter Wade Martins in 1998. And this information comes from a chapter called The Origin of Castlemilk Murat. I was able to uh, access this book through the National Library of Scotland, which is a legal deposit library and has every book published in the UK, uh, which is how I came to find this particular book, because it's not so easy to find uh, otherwise. Now, my fleece and fibre source book is not next to me. Where is it? Um, I have to say that this is about the first time that I think the Fleece and Fibre source book actually has something wrong because they attribute Sir Robert William Buchanan Jardine um, as a being the Buchanan Jardine who who created the breed, uh, but it wasn't. It was it was John, or we'll call him Jock, who had the idea, and he owned a lot of livestock, approximately two to three thousand cheviots. Uh, Black Welsh Mountain, but that those were said to have belonged to his wife, and quotes Shetland sheep. In fact, the Castle Milk Murat were really referred to as Buchanan Jardine's Shetlands, um, but it is definitely clear that they're not just Shetland, although there's a lot of speculation on their origins. If you Google Castle Milk Murat, like I'm sure many of you listening and taking part in wool exploration have done, you will see that they were created in the 20th century and that the mixture is Shetland, maybe Soe, probably Manx, possibly um, wild mouflon, but there are no hard uh, uh, facts and as far as I can make out there's been no DNA um, done to ascertain what the the origins of this breed are. So Jock Buchanan Jardine took over the Castle Milk Estate in 1927. He was really interested in livestock management and it said that he had a real interest in brown-coloured livestock in particular. For example, he bred a very particular colour of foxhound and he redeveloped or brought through an ancient strain of brown in the belted Galloway cattle. In October 1928, he bought some Shetland Yow lambs from an estate in Perth, but he... Um, apparently wanted uh, to work with more mature sheep. So he bought two consignments of Shetland sheep from Shetland. And to me, it was amazing to read that those Shetland sheep came from Berry Farm in Scalawa, where I used to live. Uh, The farm belonging to Jim Smith, who uh, is founder of Jimison and Smith uh, Wool Brokers. So, yeah, so Jock Buchanan Jardine got two consignments of Shetland sheep from Shetland uh, in November 1928 and also in January 1930. And apparently the letters refer to murret-coloured Shetlands and these were the foundation stock 
of the castle milk Murat breed. It's difficult to know what the other breed elements are. It's recorded that Manx Loftons were sent um, to castle milk uh, a few times in the 1920s and 30s. In 1934, Jock Buchanan Jardine's Factor wrote to the Wiltshire Horn Society saying um, that Jardine had crossed the breed with Shetland and got a great fleece, but that we don't know if that ended up to be the Castlemilk Murat. One of the shepherds at Castlemilk Estate, uh, William Morrison, he was shepherd there from 1949 to 1971. In this book by Wade Martins, he remembered the sheep as Sir John's Shetlands and he said that Buchanan Jardine always select the lambs and tops for breeding uh, and rejects that weren't to his satisfaction went to the butchers. What is interesting from Willie Morrison's recollections is is that there was no outside stock brought in once the breeding was established so from essentially 1949, Sir John's Shetlands, um, what we now term as Casamilk Murats, were a totally closed flock. Buchanan Jardine died in 1969 and his son Rupert culled most of the flock. It was said that he wanted to get the management of the estate on a more economic footing um, and that was his reasons for doing so. The flock had been around 60 yows and two or three rams, but very little was kept in the way of records, so it's not possible to know how it, uh, or if a mating programme uh, was was put in place. Uh, apart, as a result, they were pretty inbred, uh, but by design, they were um, seen as, quotes a vigorous breed. Uh, Joe Henson, who founded the Rare Breed Survival Trust, bought what was remaining in 1970, which was around nine ewes and one ram. So it is thanks to his quick thinking, really, that that, that saved the Castle Milk Murat sheep as, as we know them today. As I said, it was pretty much a close. It was a closed flock. Um, but in the 1950s, Jock Buchanan Jardine um, considered getting another uh, Manx ram. In fact, he did write and ask for a Manx ram, but it was a four-horned ram. Willie Morrison, the shepherd, was sure that it wasn't used because Buchanan Jardine did not want four-horned sheep in his flock. Uh, Willie also remembers the arrival of very dark uh, soy top lambs, two of them, and apparently they were put to three or four of the yows, but the offspring were discarded. Uh, Joe Henson believed that the progeny that it created was just too small. It's funny though, because, you know, when you see the young, they look so like soy to me. Um, it makes you wonder if there is some soy within that um, but it seems destined to be uh, shrouded in secrecy all we know is that we have these incredible almost dainty sheep uh, with two horns um, they are a small breed very like the primitive 
um, Shetlands, um, Manx, and again, Sue, very, very Sue like, with this incredible um, fine wool, brown uh, fleece, as I say, um, sometimes referred to as having like a, a milk chocolate colour, but actually they can be really quite gingery toffee toffee shades um and also you you kind of be forgiven for thinking they look a little bit like deer if you see them far off because they are so similar in shape um again it's that those really really um dainty little legs so we don't know a lot of the origins of what went into um, creating Castle Milk Murat uh, until maybe someone does some DNA testing on sheep. It would be really interesting. If someone out there is interested in doing research or a PhD or something into into the sheep breeds of the UK, it would be really interesting to get some DNA research done or genetic research done on, on these, these sheep breeds. Um, but whatever their origins, as well as having primitive ancestry and Casamilk Murats are referred to as a primitive type because of um, that ancestry, questionable as it may be. The Casamilk Murat is part of the Northern European short-tail breed uh, given that it has that small triangular fluke-shaped tail um, and uh, while it's small, it's one of the larger um, uh, in that group apparently yows weigh, weigh around 40 kilograms and rams around 55 again they are very long-legged and agile according to the breed standard of the Casamilk Murat Society uh, the Casamilk Murat is one of the larger primitive type breeds with mature yows weighing in the region of 40 kilograms and rams 55. The head is clean and level between the ears. The yows exhibit two uniform and widespreading horns which are much heavier and evenly spiralled in rams avoiding the cheeks. The neck should be well set on the shoulders following on to a straight back and a well sprung rib. The tail is naturally short and narrow. Both sexes should be upstanding on clean, fine-boned legs and naturally small feet. Its whole appearance is graceful and well-balanced and they are extremely agile and fleet-footed. And you can find out a bit more information about the breed at the Society.co.uk. Uh, as well as information about the breed and about a little bit of the history of the breed. There is also a register of breeders. Let's talk a little bit about that wool. Fleece weight is uh, about less than a kilogram to 1.5 kilograms. It's a short staple generally, one and a half inches to about three inches. Fibre diameter, usually 29 to 30 microns. The Fleece and Fibre source book has uh, notes that lock characteristics are like the Manx Lofton. They're, they're short uh, and blocky. Um, sometimes they can have um, sun bleached tips, but the natural colours tend from light to medium reddish brown. All of the Casamilk Murats um, have descended from that single flock um, that was saved from uh, the Casamilk estate in the 1970s by the Rare Breed Survival Trust. 
and some were imported and there has been important work happening in the Netherlands and also Belgium to help guarantee the breed future, um, which is really incredible. And if I've got any listeners in the Netherlands or Belgium, it would be really interesting to know um, if you can access uh, Casa Milk Murit yarn. It'd be really interesting to know how that compares to their relatives here in the UK. Yeah, so it's been a really interesting, eye-opening um, uh, bit of research. I also did some research at the University of Edinburgh and found mention of Casa Milk Murit in their catalogue. But from going through the the material there, I think what's been termed Casamuk Murit. Um, it might even be just Murits, Shetlands, um, because the development that was going on was much earlier. It was 1910, 1911, um, so much earlier than what Jock Buchanan Jardine uh, was doing. But I might look into that a little further uh, to see exactly what kind of development that was 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 happening then um with with Shetland sheep absolutely fascinating and um i now really want to know how how our wool explorers found castle milk murit well this month we had myself dry gardening becky p jbwb frickstrick erica eccles and drainold one all exploring some castle milk murit yarn. I was using Daughter of a Shepherd castle milk murit, which, full disclosure, I was sent uh, for the purposes of wool exploration. So I'm very grateful to Daughter of a Shepherd uh, for that. Uh, dry gardening was using uh, a double knit from Fox Bank Farm. Becky P was using Blacker. JBWB uh, was also using Fox Bank Farm. Frickstrick Layla was using blacker. Erica Eccles was using blacker. She also hand spun from a bat. Drainold uh, was also, of course, um, hand spinning. So um, thanks so much to our hand spinners. I also have Casa Milk Murit to hand spin. I got some a little sample of fleece from Witchwood Spinner on Etsy. The only thing was that I, uh, I feel like it needs a bit more grease so uh, for my liking. So I haven't spun it yet and I also um, need to card it, I think. So um, I will add my notes, um, re the hand spun um, once I have gone through that process. So, hand squish grab and initial thoughts. Well, I, again, was using the Daughter of a Shepherd Casa Milk Murit. Um, which is a, a double knit, uh, which was launched about a year ago, I think. Um, it it was one of those yarns that, like, as soon as I put my hand in the bag to pull it out, it, it gave me those good wool vibrations up my arm. Um, <laughs> um, it has an ever so slight crispness in the ball. Uh, it, uh, I noted that it feels resilient. And it feels warm. I loved that the depth of colour um, that um, was in this yarn. I have used Casa Milk Murit before. Um, I used uh, one from Blacker, um, which was a lot more key milk chocolate, perhaps. Whereas this yarn um, 
is really quite gingery. It's it's warm and spicy in colour. So I initially thought of making um, that this would be great for something like leg warmers um, or or mittens um, or like any kind of accessory. I kind of I felt like I I I felt a sense of familiarity about this yarn, although it's very different from um, the the blacker yarn that I've used before. Dry Gardening was using uh, yarn from Foxbank Farm. The put-up is a 50 gram ball, approximately 120 yards, 110 metres. Three plies, roundish, um, form the yarn. Described as double knitting, um, weight by Foxbank Farm. Undyed natural brown colour. In response to my query, the seller confirmed that this yarn is woolen spun. Ball feels firm and dense with a matte surface. Um, that's great and good on you for seeking out that extra information. I think the more that we as yarn consumers, um, uh, and I mean that as buyers, not eaters of yarn, um, if we ask more of these questions, then it will get onto the labels. That information will become more apparent, I think, when when we can show that, that information is important to us. Um Becky P said uh, of her, the blacker double knit that she was using, uh, this yarn has a strong sheepy smell and feels nice through the hands. It feels sturdy when tugged. It has a firm texture and feels okay, neither rough nor smooth against my cheek. She said, I'm thinking of jumpers with this, maybe a hat. Uh, JBWB, I think this is your first uh, wool exploration, so welcome to you. She said of her Foxbank Farm, resilient, bouncy, gorgeous chocolate colour. Frickstrick, uh, Leila, she said, words like sturdy, dense and solid come to mind. The yarn is very heavy for a DK. She's using blacker and blacker double knits tend to be more of a, a sort of a light worsted really. Um, she says, I have knit this on 5mm um, as well and it still gives a, stir a sturdy fabric. Uh, Erica Eccles was also using the Kasamuk Marut from Blacker. She says, the ball is pretty dense. There's a nice sponginess to squeezing it. The yarn springs back without being squished out of shape. I can't help but think of rich, dark torts or a rich, moussey chocolate dessert or steamed puddings. Um, she says... I can imagine this being perfect for one of those old faithful garments, the sort that might just be slept on by the cat, but which is all wool comforts that you crave in a winter on a wet Saturday afternoon. The loveliest descriptions of wool from Erica Eccles there. Um, Erica Eccles said she hoped she wasn't being greedy, but she was also going to try hand spinning for this wool exploration and she says this fibre was bought as a roll of homemade batting rich and fragrant and sticky to the touch mm -mm -mm. she says I split the batting into thinner sections to make it easier for me to spin inchworm drafting smoothing down the fibre with my fingers worsted style my spinning isn't great but the fibres were nice and sticky and held together without slipping or running away from me as it travelled through the orifice of the wheel. It's a nice and supportive fibre for a beginner. I wasn't aware of any guard hairs in the fibre. The resulting yarn was a bit variable in thickness, but it felt surprisingly light and airy. Doreen Old One with her hand-spun Casa Milk Murat. 
also from Witchwood Spinner. Uh, so I'll be when I do finally get round to spinning mine, I'll be interested to compare notes with you. She spun um, a hand spun sport weight woolen spun. The hand squish grab, she said, not quite the crunch of the down type wools when squished but a definite rustle resistance rebound you know i love a bit of alliteration <laughs> deborah thanks for that uh, like max but not as soft as my batch of that tight ply and filmy single plies uh, round ply for a two ply she said um it was lofty and thinks uh it says socks to her, but she also thought warm sweater. She said crisp against the upper lip, but not abrasively so. She says, warning, this yarn is from one 100 gram fleece sample in a plastic bag. No idea which parts of the fleece it's from. No guarantee it was from all one sheep, particularly as the fleeces are said to weigh about one kilo on average. Uh, fleece may be an outlier rather than a typical one. Well, that's really good to know. Thanks, thanks for that. Uh, so, on um, initial observances, uh, observances whilst swatching. Well, with the daughter of a shepherd, Castle Milk Murat, that I was using, um, as I said in the past, the only Castle Milk Murat yarn that I've knitted with was a three plied, double knit, very smoothly twisted. Castle Milk Murat and as I say I didn't fully appreciate that um, Castle Milk Murat could be uh, a more delicate yarn um, like this is and the Daughter of a Shepherd Castle Milk Murat is, is woolen spun at a traditional Yorkshire mill and I wonder if that process may be slightly more minimally processed than, than um, a commercial mill might have just locked in something a bit more special in this yarn to me, they're two different yarns entirely. Uh, the garter in my Tin Can Knits Polygon Hexagon, um, just, just lovely. Uh, it has a real heritage feel to me. Um, and I think it has, you know, it showcases the primitive gene pool of the of the castle milk murat um it very much feels like a a primitive wool to me like a shetland um or a manx or a soe um really really nice and the other thing that i liked about this yarn as i said before the colors uh, are a bit more vibrant than i've seen before but there is just every so often a, a beautiful dash of silver in amongst um, the the wool and um, I think it just adds something to the texture of the fabric when there's um, different colours and textures within the yarn itself. Dry gardening uh, with her Foxbank farm and she says it has a fairly low elasticity but it's easily manipulated in stitch patterns. Excellent stitch definition, comfortable in the hand, beautiful natural brown colour, excellent moderate twist of three plies, uh, which naturally adhere to one another without the tendency to loosen or separate. Observing yarn close up, woolen spun appears evident from indistinct airy character of the roundish form. Uh, unblocked swatch was pliable, displaying relatively low drape.
Becky P with her blacker Casa Milk Murit, she said, the yarn moved nicely through my hands. It's smoother than I expected and makes a nice fa- fabric um, somewhere between firm and floaty. JBWB with her Foxbank farm, she said, yarn flows smoothly, responsive. Great stitch definition. Responsive is such a good word for wool, isn't it? I mean, of course, that's exactly what we want it to be and do. Thank you for that, JBWB. Uh, Frick Strick with her um, blacker, uh, Kasim Akmurit, she says, I love the way the stitches just laid nicely and evenly next to each other without any effort. Sounds like a credible fabric, doesn't it? Erica Eccles, also with blacker. Uh, now, this is actually a swatch that Erica Eccles, a.k.a. Lisa Jane, actually knit a while ago when we did the breed swatch along. So this is her revisiting her notes and um, she's going to tell us um, how that particular swatch has washed and worn uh, over the last three years since that um, last swatch along. Um, so I should just make that clear. Uh, but she's got great notes uh, on this uh particular yarn she says back then knitting it and handling the yarn it feels soft mossy not kitten soft but a wild soft it feels like there's a little animal under my fingers this is marshes mossy riverbanks that girl knows how to describe yarn doesn't she uh the knitted fabric feels soft and warm uh and there are uh kempy white strands which lift up amongst the stitches. Squidging the stitches, I can feel that sponginess. Even the stockinette uh, stitches are squishy. The uh, nubbiness of the moss stitch edge feels fantastic in this yarn. It's lovely and textural uh, to rub my fingertips over. The hourglass eyelet pattern is all ridges and dimples. The stitch definition is excellent. Uh, she says the back of the swatch has a woven basket look and the uh, fabric this yarn creates is nice and sturdy. Uh, now with her hand spun um, Casa Milk Murit, she said the yarn is really bouncy, very velvety and airy. Think chocolate mousse or souffle. The smell is uh, all warmth and sheep pleasure. She says I began with the seed, seed stitch border but ended up ripping that out as there was quite a lot of thickness uh, variation uh, in in my yarn uh, and I was having a devil of a time seeing the textural difference in those stitches as well as it looking rather messy. She says I decided to then knit the border in garter stitch which copes really well with my spinning. The fabric is nice and bouncy, stocking stitch uh, followed by some lace. The lace seemed particularly sympathetic. Individual stitches not so important to the pattern it creates. Lots of stretch and give with the yarn. I what you just said there about garter stitch, I think uh, like I think garter stitch is so forgiving for so many yarns, but it looks particularly great in hand spun. I mean, uh, the hand spinning that I've done for wool exploration, I've always gone on to make into those um, hexagons for the polygon uh, blanket by Tin Can Knits and their garter stitch and they just look incredible but then I love that kind of texture gotta love garter stitch it's it's really nice in so many yarns um from from lace to chunky 
This episode is sponsored by Garter Stitch. <laughs> um, uh, Drainold, uh, with her observances, with her handspun sport mate, she said, even in a single, uh, this would be amongst the least splitty yarns I have worked with. I think due to ply and twist and the tiny curlicue crimp, it unknit obediently and didn't want to shred itself to death. Um, there is a moderate degree of grab, definitely uh, not slick. And uh, she says, nubs of unspun weren't noticeable amongst the dark brown uh, when in the fleece and the blonde tips tweediness emerged. Uh, she said it was uh, general, generally easy to pull off the little nubbins. Um, surface looked uh, crumbly like brownie crumb or the suede si- side of leather, but lace opened up fairly well. Honeycomb stood out aggressively in the tight round ply. Rib had a fair amount of body and felt like it would stand up to stress pretty well. Really, really loving the um, the similarities between uh, Deborah and Lisa's hand spinning and what they were thinking about how um, forgiving some stitches looked in this yarn and how um, lace looks really good and also really loving that you both um, liken it to food <laughs> which is awesome brownie crumb so to the first wash block and wear well my little polygon in the daughter of a shepherd castle milk murit, um I, I kind of wanted to I kept it for a couple of days in my pocket you know I like to um, carry my swatch around in my pocket and see how how it um, wears is it easy to straighten out again um, really really loved how sturdy a fabric um, this is um, that was unwashed and unblocked uh, and really after a couple of days in my pocket um, before even washing and blocking it still looked as good as it did when I cast it off cast milk mood it seems to be a really great uh, plumpy dense yarn that's going to make items I think that that are going to stand up to a lot of wear but I am jumping ahead um but uh once I soaked it I did so for a couple of hours in wool wash and again it reminded me that it's got Shetland and its heritage because it relaxed in the water the very same way that Shetland wool can so I think there are some yarn some breed wools that that do that they have a very particular way in which they behave and uh this just the way it relaxed in the water really reminds me of, of Shetland wool. Um, I laid it flat to dry and it I didn't pin it out or anything like that. I just stretched it out, massaged it out. Um, and it bloomed beautifully. It had a really nice bloom on it. Um, I wore it against my shoulder for a day. It was a warm day. We've had some warm weather, you guys. Um, I could definitely feel an initial presence. That initial presence... Um, which wasn't really a prickle but it was just a sensation faded very quickly um uh because it was such a warm and humid day i was very aware that i had to swatch on me at all times but it wasn't obtrusive um in and of itself as a fabric it was just the environment <laughs> of the test that really was the issue uh, dry gardening with her Foxbank farm. She soaked hers in lukewarm water for two and a half hours. Um, to thoroughly soaked, 
Uh, it seemed resistance to resistant to wetting. The water rinsed clear. The swatch relaxed. It was easy to block. It held its block when released from the pins uh, and it has excellent stitch definition. A matte fabric finish, crisp with very attractive natural colour and low to moderate drape. Worn directly against the chest for a day engaging in daily activities with lots of movement. A bit of a prickle at times, but uh, she says I forgot its presence. I would generally use this yarn for a layer, for example a cardigan or vest. Although for me, a hat, cowl or scarf would also work. Becky P with her blacker, um, she uh, is knitting the Berlin squares. So she soaked for 30 minutes in Ysalan and blocked a 17.5 centimetre square. She says I wore it under my bra strap for the day and forgot about it um, in moments. It felt warm and cosy. At the end of the day, it looked like it was almost in perfect condition. So again, there's this similarity with it standing up really well and looking great. Uh, JBWB, um, she's also using Foxbank Farm. She soaked hers in warm water with Usaline for 30 minutes and dried flat. Uh, the size has changed. It was 7 by 9.5 inches. It uh, is now uh, 9.5 by 6.25 inches. Patted into shape but not pinned. The shrinkage is in width but not height. Uh, with rippling on the top and bottom of the seed stitches, seed stitch borders due to the cables. Uh, she says she wore it for 45 minutes at her bra strap. Uh, on a warm day, uh, I'm really appreciative of you wool explorers wearing these on warm days. She says initial slight prickle and then noticed nothing other, other than warmth after that. That's great. Thank you very much, Janet. Um, Frick Strick Layla, she washed hers in hand hot water, left it soaking for half an hour, gently wrung in the water, uh, uh, wrung out the water, and left it on the floor to dry. No noticeable change between unwashed and washed swatch. Tried wearing on shoulder, but it was a bit too big and bulky for that, so I tucked it into the waistband instead. Uh, there was a constant awareness of the swatch, not as an irritation, just as an awareness of it. Uh, she said. Uh, it was less warm to wear than she would have assumed based entirely on the density of the fabric. And she says the size pretty much stayed the same, 29 by 29 centimetres. Um, she was knitting a Templeton square by Franklin Habit. So Lisa, uh, Erica Eccles with her um, blacker. She said um, the first time she washed it, she soaked it for at least an hour in hand-hot water with Ysalan. She says it uh, now measures nine inches by eight and a half inches wide, which is a little bit um, blocked, a little bit taller than her original swatch. The fabric feels very much like an old uh, worn velvet, sort of fudgy. The stitch definition is no longer quite so pronounced after washing. There's a soft blurring around the edges. This could also be a feature um, in the particularly strong design stitch pattern being used. She thinks the yarn is trying to felt, so perhaps that is what's causing the stitches to blur. She said, I really like that it loses the brand new look. And that's really interesting. And that's a really good example of how quickly wool can change from that hand squish in the ball to that 
unwashed swatch to that first wash and it has a totally different look and feel. With her hand spun, she says the blocked swatch, uh, she blocked it flat with pins and gave it a hotter end of warm water. It's not bubbly German wool wash and the swatch soaked up the water really quickly. She says there was no resistance or any gurgle. Left in water for two hours, the swatch feels light and airy. It has a crisp edge, which is more her spinning than the wool, she says. She says stitches bloomed, very slight haze over the surface of the stitches, pinned across my delicatage for a few hours. She says if you have very sensitive skin, you may find it lively. Drain old ones, uh, used Ucelan, pair the label, spun, uh, rolled in a towel and pressed for 30 seconds or so, pinned out, generally squared up with uh, knit blockers but not tortured, air dried, not much change, the slight edge curl relaxed, uh, the blocking held when uh, dragged out into the very humid air for a photo in the early morning light, sandpapery against upper lip, prickly when held against the neck, a bit sandpapery and prickly under the bra strap and more prickly on chest skin. That's great. Again, very appreciative of you testing these out in hot and humid weathers. Uh, the second wash block and wear test then. Um, I found that the daughter of a shepherd, Kasimok Murat, softened even more uh, uh, and I also use the word velvet. It feels like velvet to me. Um, again, it has this almost vintage feel to it um, while still being soft and still being um, a lovely, airy, lofty fabric. I wore it against my waistband for a day and I didn't feel it there again. Um, when I took it away I could feel that it was definitely had been warm really really impressed um, with this yarn and I again wore it in my pocket for a few days in my jeans pocket with my keys um, after a day I took it out I straightened it up it still looks great uh, any it looked quite crumpled um, but just a few shakes and it was um, back to how it had been after I'd taken it off the pins. I did block it with pins this time and I, I felt like I could, I could have blocked it um, quite aggressively if I'd wanted to, but I'm trying to keep all my polygons the same <laughs> rough size. So it's good to know that it's got that stretch in it. Dry gardening in her second wash, block and wear. Uh, toss the swatch in with a load of laundry, top-loading machine, usual laundry detergent, 19 minutes agitation in hot water, two cold water rinses, tumble-dried for one and a half hours, no heat. Some shrinkage, distortion, uh, some blurring of stitch definition, some fuzzing of the surface and edges. Uh, shrinkage from uh, post-block size approximately 11 percent decrease width and 9.8 percent decrease length same conditions as wear test one she says she was aware of it throughout the day noting a bit of skin prickle evident at the day's end again she would use this fiber for a layer a cardigan a hat um, and also for hats cowls and scarves she thinks 
Uh, Rebecca, Becky P, she soaked hers for 30 minutes in Useland and blocked again, this time to 16 centimetres square. She says she wore it on her hip this time. Again, it held its shape and it just needed smoothing back into shape. Um, that's great. Thank you so much. JBWB Janet, she says she... Um, Soaked hers in warm water in Usland for two hours this time. Pinned flat to dry. Slightly wider as a result. Fabric slightly denser. Bit of a halo has developed. Uh, she says more prickly and not able to wear it against my skin for the wear test. That's really interesting. Thanks very much for that. That was the Foxbank Farm double knit that she was using. Uh, Layla Frickstrick, she says, hand washed the same way as the first time. Not really any visible change in the fabric uh, by the second wear. She says, well, it was very warm, so I decided against wearing it. But I sat on it for the day whilst working from home. I could feel the warmth more this time and the fabric changed ever so slightly. But I do need to bring it close to my face to notice the difference. That is actually a really good test, you know, because, again, it's going to give you... Uh, a feeling of wear you know we don't always wear wool next to our skin i think that the the work that we do in testing it next to our skin is really good and there are some very intrepid wool explorers and um, who try it in lots of different places of which i, I i'm really grateful for for that work um but actually a pressure test is really interesting um other ways that we could do it um if you didn't want to wear it is you could do sort of reading the swatch like fingertip try, try feeling it with different pressures and your in your use your fingertips and um, use different uh, light touch and medium touch and see how that feels um you could also do that um you know on your skin for short periods of time um trying it that way i definitely don't want anyone to be uncomfortable um that is the that is a, a no no i don't want anyone to be too uncomfortable that they are put off wool or wool exploration um <laughs> so thank you that's a great uh, way to test it by sitting on it it definitely gives you an idea of how it will wear and the warmth um test is obviously the warmth result is obviously evident from that as well thank you leila uh, Erica Eccles uh, on her second wash block and wear of the blacker um, which she knit a few years ago for the breed swatch along she says swatch still measures nine inches wide but is now eight and three quarter inches high now the fabric is so plump mossy soft and is already feeling like an old friend that's brilliant with her hand spun she says she washed it the same as before, but she didn't pin it out. Instead, she just patty caked it flat, leaving it to dry. Swatch measures eight and a quarter inches wide by eight inches in length, and so it shrunk a little. The definition of the lace section looks good, and there is a noticeable wool memory to the fibres as the stitches spring back. Pinned to what I was wearing and positioned under my arms, I didn't notice any pilling. It did attract a fair bit of cat fluff after a burner cuddle um, listeners of the show or anyone who follows uh, Erica Eccles on social media will know that her cat Bernard is a, a lover of wool in fact I go so far as to say he probably loves wool more than Lisa Jane does uh, Jane Old One washed um, her handspun sport weight from Castle Milk Merit Fleece 
uh, uh, as test one, Usalan as the pair label. This time I scrubbed a little spot against itself briefly. It began to fuzz up in that area, but when it was dry, not much difference. Patted it out to air dry, not much change in the dimensions. In a waistband next to the skin, she says she didn't feel it. And I'm always really grateful that um, that somebody, and it's usually um, Deborah, um, is knitting with or spinning a single. Because again, a single ply is going to react so much differently from a three-plied yarn, like the Blacker and the Foxbank Farm. And it will probably react differently to a two-ply traditional woolen spun, like the Daughter of a Shepherd that I was using. So again, it's so great to get all of these variations. My Wool Explorer chums, I am, I again so indebted to you i'm not even finished this wool exploration but i've got to get all the thanks out because you know you really all do a cracking job um third wash block and wear well i didn't do a third wash block and wear but uh dry gardening did she tossed it in a load of laundry usual detergent front loading machine permanent um permanent press cycle i don't know what that is um using hot water wash uh, and cold water washes. Is that the cycle that's sort of meant to mean that you don't do any ironing, pressing? Forgive my washing machine ignorance. Um, air dried by patting it flat and pinning it to a blocking pad. Slightly more tightening and flattening of the pattern stitches, but not so much more from the, as from the second wash. A bit more fuzzing and surface fibres. Close to zero shrinkage from post-second wash size. Worn directly against the chest all day, engaging in activities with lots of movement. Same wear test results as post-second wash. Um, Erica Eccles um, uh, revisited this swatch that she knit for the bead swatch along and she says over the three years since I knit this swatch I think I've washed it at least eight times to be honest I've stopped keeping really thorough notes I washed my swatch again a week or so ago and it looks as good now as it did when I first knit it. It's been tucked under my pillow, pinned to my clothes, slept on, loved by Bernard, rubbed really hard between my fingers and has become my favourite swatch. A little light pilling has appeared, uh, but after two years, that is okay. If this was uh, an armchair, it would be the one everyone wanted to sit in. Thank you very much, uh, Lisa, for looking back on that swatch from your swatch library and giving it another test for us. That's very much appreciated. She did a third wash block and wear of her handspun castle milk and she said it washed the same as before, but I pinned it out and the swatch has returned to the larger size. Some very hard and vigorous rubbing of the swatch um, enough that my hand ached and the swatch became warm to the touch, caused a little lifting up of the fibres and the swatch looked a bit slept upon. And the rough treatment also meant that the swatch grew in length by a quarter of an inch. The variances in my wool have certainly all settled down uh, and at this point the stitches all look the same. Brilliant. Um, so as always, uh, I ask for your post-test thoughts. Um, Dry Gardening said she thinks that Casa Milk Murit will be great for texture patterns, including cables. Best use is likely to be uh, layering away from sensitive skin uh, for anyone who has issues with that. However, a hat, a cowl, a scarf would work for her. 
Um, natural colour and matte fabric surface are beautiful. Appears that wet fooling and felting would require fairly vigorous treatment to reach that firm stage. And she, dry gardening will, would know because she does the most incredible uh, wash block and wears for us and really puts swatches through their paces. So maybe we finally found one um, for you dry gardening that would take further wash block uh, and wears to, to really, really felt. That is so good to know that it's resistant to to felting. And maybe, does my memory serve me correctly, that we found that Manx also is a really sturdy yarn and a bit uh, pill resistant and felt resistant. So again, it's a good nod to the heritage of the Casa Milk Murat. Dry Gardening also said, has a great woolly presence. This yarn is plump and very nicely milled and she highly recommends the Fox Bank Farm yarn. Becky P said, another nice yarn and I'm really glad to have tried it. I'm thinking a jumper or a hat would be nice. Then JBWB Janet, who said, this breed would be great for cabled items, seed stitch, anything that benefits from a good uh, stitch definition, great for a weekend cabled sweater or a grandpa cardigan, uh, sturdy mittens, she says, I would use it again for a vest or a sweater over a layer of clothing, or for outdoor items in the cold weather to help mitigate the prickle factor. And she said, she loves the colour and how the cables popped. And she said, she is new to wool exploration. This is my first, but definitely will not be my last swatch. Janet, that is fabulous. I am so grateful to you for joining in with wool exploration. And I really look forward to reading your reviews and hearing more from you um, in our future wool explorations. Uh, Leila said, someone please tell me where I can get such a yarn in lace fingering weight. She says, the initial words of dense and sturdy hold. I really like the fabric and the way the yarn behaved both during knitting and whilst sitting on it. Uh, I would not use it against my neck. The awareness would probably develop into something less pleasant. But gloves and mitts uh, may end up lasting a lifetime. I would be perfectly happy with garments provided they're not on a high or tight neckline. I don't think uh, I would need a layer underneath. That's brilliant. Erica Eccles of her her um, blacker Castle Milk Muda, she said, uh, this would really suit a cardigan or sweater to wear over light layers, as long uh, good on long walks or if you're out in the garden or the allotment. Because the stitch def definition does seem to blur after washing, it may well suit a strong cable design. I know I say this a lot, but Casa Milk Murat is really my favourite, favourite breed in all its velvet plumpness and proper big slices of homemade cake and mugs of tea. <laughs> It's not delicate or fancy, but it's a wool it's wool comfort at its best. And she also said that she hoped she wasn't being too greedy by testing some hand spun. She wanted to see the difference between the homespun and the commercial breed. Um and of her homespun, she said, definitely one uh, of the wool comfort breeds and what I think of when I imagine warm and woolsome. Uh the colour is beautiful, soft chocolate, and the smell made me and the smell mostly faded after washing the swatch, but there's a ghostly sheep uh, smell lingering. Uh, in a lightweight, this would be ideal for a shawl, but I think it would be most perfect as a cardigan or jumper, something that cuddles. 
as this is the most chocolatey pudding of rules. I think it's fair to say that we all want chocolate or cake after Erica Eccles' descriptions of this yarn. She says she'd thoroughly recommend Castle Milk Murat Fibre to anyone learning to spin. It's nice and grabby and doesn't split apart too terribly if you've not got enough twist in the yarn. She says in the hands of anyone who has more experience, I think you'll find yourself creating yarn that is perfect for autumn and winter knitting. Drain Old One says the natural teddy bear brown is appealing. The fibre is a bit more matte uh, than my Manx sample, which was... Um, more of a just-baked, gooey, moist sheen rather than the brownie crumb of the Castle Milk Moodit. It looks soft. It might stand out uh, or recede depending on what's nearby. She says it looks better to me as a thicker yarn uh, spun for surface texture or a substantial-looking plain fabric. Felt lighter than it looked. Thank you very much, um, Deborah, and thanks to... All of our wool explorers, I too have been utterly beguiled by Castle Milk Moodit. Like I said at the beginning, it was a yarn that I didn't know too much about. I had a couple of facts about it. Um, it's been interesting to look into it, um, but it's been wonderful to explore it. Um, you know, when I first started doing, um, you know, knitting with British wool, you could only really get Castle Milk Moodit from Blacker. Um, so I'm really glad to see that there are a few other um, people who are making yarns and different yarns. As I say, I'm very, very beguiled by the beautiful wool and spun yarn from um, uh, Daughter of a Shepherd. Nice two-ply. And can see c cardigans in this yarn in my future. Um, and again, the colour... Um, you know, whenever I choose choose a yarn for um, wool exploration that's brown, I just hear the people, you know, who say to me, oh, but British wool, isn't it just all brown? And like, there are so many shades of brown. There's no one shade of brown. As you heard there, we've had mousse, we've had pudding, we've had milk chocolate, we've had ginger and caramel. Um... There is so much to love about the natural colours of wool and Castle Milk Murat is no exception. And I would um, like to tip my hat to Sir Jock Buchanan Jardine for his quote-unquote Shetlands and the incredible work that he did to create these beautiful sheep and their wool and to Joe Henson for what he did in in saving in saving the remaining sheep um uh, so that we have wool to knit with today i thoroughly enjoyed that wool exploration um the next wool exploration that we're doing is norfolk horn this is uh, another really interesting yarn i have uh knit with norfolk horn uh, a long time ago uh and have enjoyed revisiting that swatch but also knitting uh, with a new Norfolk horn. I got it from uh, Jean at Natural Yarn. I also hand spun some shearling Norfolk horn that um, Erica Eccles was very kind to send to me. Um, I, I'm kind of, a, I don't really have a date for the Norfolk horn because I haven't taken my annual pod break yet. So how the next couple of wool explorations go, I'm going to be really, really wide with the dates. So if you are interested in taking part, 
uh, I would encourage you to go over to the Wool Exploration Threads in the Knit British Ravelry group. Um, there's a thread for every um, breed that we've looked at so far this year and the ones that we're going to look at um, in the future. And there are a few links of where to buy um, Norfolk Horn and the other breeds and also if you follow me on Instagram I do have a stories highlight on wool exploration and I try and put links in there as well so if you're interested in taking part with some Norfolk Horn um, natural yarn um, which is um, naturalyarn.co.uk have Norfolk Horn uh, double knit very nice black bat rare breeds have Norfolk Horn uh, the fibre workshop um, have Norfolk Horn. There is Boxmoor uh, Norfolk Horn, which I believe is a National Trust estate. Um, and Erica Eccles um, has some links about mail ordering Norfolk Horn uh, from Kentwell House. There is also, if you like to spin, there is some Shearling Norfolk Horn fleece available on Etsy uh, via the Hemingway and Hunt shop. All the links for those are in the Knit British Ravelry group. After Norfolk Horn, the last breed that we're going to look at for 2019, well, I say breed, what I mean is breeds, because we're going to be looking at the Welsh Mountain Group. Now, you don't have to take part by making something from all of the breeds in the Welsh Mountain Group, but um, there is a lot to choose from. So let me tell you... Um, if I can find the bloody thread. Oh, I've lost the, lost the thread. Let's see, where are you? I do have a sticky thread called Wool Exploration at Links. And it's got links to all the chat threads, just in case you can't find them like me. Um, so we will be looking at Black Welsh Mountain, South Welsh Mountain, Welsh Mountain, the Badger Faces, which are Torwen and Tordu, and Balwyn. So I make that six. Now, I have heard that can be other breeds that belong to this group. Um, so if you think you know of another Welsh mountain breed that I've not mentioned here, then let me know. But I think I took this from the Fleece and Fibre source book. So yeah, so if you're interested at all in taking part, seek out Black Welsh Mountain, South Welsh Mountain, Welsh Mountain, Torwen, Tordu or Balwyn, as well as buying the yarn. Try and, and find pictures of these sheep and look at them because they're the most beautiful sheep. Um, I think this will be an interesting one. When we did the Dorset group, that was a really interesting one. So I'm hoping that we get a nice spread across the breeds for this one. So that's our wool exploration. If you have any questions, the Ravelry group is the best place to ask. We've got a general chat thread and then we've got chat threads for all of the wool exploration. If we've done a breed that you feel like you've missed out on, you can still take part. The chat threads are still open. You can still upload your results to the Google form. I am um, working on a way to bring those collated results um, in a really accessible way. It's not going to be quick just because, you know, I have a full-time job. So, um, but I, that's always been the aim is to make these collated results easily accessible. Right now you get them on the podcast, um, but um, one day soon they'll be available 
um, in a really accessible way. And hopefully the work that we have done here um, will help lots of other people learn about breed wool. So what can be better than that? As always, thank you so much for your wool explorations and your chat. And um, thank you for being so intrepid when it comes to the breeds we explore uh, on this podcast. I talked a little bit earlier, I touched a little bit on inclusivity. And, you know, there are still really excellent conversations that are going on about... um, inclusion and equity there are still some dissenting comments and conversations that are trying to derail those good conversations but you know I really hope that that there is a move towards something more positive because in all the conversations that we've been having on um, racism on ableism, on inclusion in pattern sizes, on quotes affordability, on uh, sexual orientation, on all things, all of these conversations we have, and we have to move towards something positive. And it is often really hard to have these conversations on social media, on platforms that are not designed for meaningful conversation. But for as much as I feel downhearted by what I see in terms of negative commentary I am always so heartened by the work that is going on and you know I I am really trying not to use social media at the moment I can only use my phone for basic operations of most of which are fairly laboured of me shouting at the fucking thing because I can't get the assistive touch to work um again first world problems you guys I'm really trying to make the the time I spend off social media and off my devices a little bit more meaningful and I've been trying to to um have a daily TED talk and I wanted to share a couple of the TED talks I've watched I think that there are things that are absolutely in terms of doing the work there are things that are absolutely easy for us to do to be able to widen our understanding a little bit more and take a look within ourselves a little bit more and watching a 15 minute TED talk is really fucking simple Um, and I want to share a couple um, of links with you and I'll put them in the show notes you you can find these on YouTube but they're also on TED.com where you will find transcripts and um, lists for further reading which is just excellent uh, so uh, the first one I want to tell you about is called Get Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable by Lovie Ajayi um, that is um, a brilliant uplifting talk uh, where uh, Lovie shares three questions to ask yourself um, if you are sort of on the edge of, of, of speaking up or where you get to that place where you don't know, should I speak up or should I just shut the fuck up? Um, and she encourages us all to get a little bit more comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling. And the take home away from that is she says, be a domino. Um, and I'm going to make you, let you watch that to find out exactly what, what she means by that. So that's Get Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable by Lovey Ajayi. Uh, the other one that I recommend is uh, a really interesting piece by a chap called Clint Smith. Um, it's called The Danger of Silence, which again is finding the courage to speak up against ignorance and injustice. 
five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. They're not a huge part of your day. And then the other one that I uh, have watched this week um, is by a woman called Melody Hobson. Uh, it's called Colour Blind or Colour Brave. Um, and again, if you are so inclined to learn a little more, then I really, really recommend that this is a, a good way to make yourself learn a little more and understand a little bit of pe- other people's experiences. Those three, I'll probably come back with, to you with more um, in the future. But um, so, yeah, as I say, I'm, as I'm not spending, trying to spend my lunch hours looking at my phone, I'm doing other things, trying to, as I say, watch something and reading as well, you know, doing, doing, trying to spend just, as I say, time offline a little bit more meaningfully so that my time online can be spent a little bit more meaningfully. But one of the things I've noticed um, recently uh, is talks about quote-unquote affordability um, in terms of pattern pricing, in terms of cost for workshops and events and I find it really, really interesting. I've been Regarding that conversation that's been going on, um, it's been going on for a little while. There have been um, sort of schemes where where some designers like Rohan Nitz, uh, Frenchie, and, and others have come up with pay what you can schemes for for designs. It's also spurred on a whole other conversation about inclusivity in sizing, which I think is really important. But I I kind of want to come back to the to the to the cost because it always comes up I get asked about British wool I have been often asked why is British wool so expensive Um, and I have spoken about this on the podcast a lot in the past as I say I, I truly believe that there is a material that's affordable to you um, if you want to make with it. And I have a series of blog posts, yarns for under a fiver, yarns for under a tenner, uh, yarns for a few pennies more. And then I did another one um, about a few more, a few more yarns of different sort of budgets. Um, I started doing those posts about five years ago. Um, I keep adding to them. I try and update them every year. Um, it's very interesting to see how some yarns do change price. Uh, new Lanark, I'm looking at you. Your prices have doubled in one year. Um, very interesting. Um, but, you know, um, costs change and who knows what effect Brexit is going to have on uh, prices and things like that. So, but I, I try to make people aware of what's out there and I try and show an inclusive range of of prices when it comes to the yarns that I talk about on the show. I always consider yarn purchases for myself. I will always consider the price of yarn when I buy it, always. Because there was a time in my life where I so desperately needed to buy yarn to knit to keep me sane when I had less than a pound a day to live on. The choice for me was buy a 99p ball of Patton's Fab uh, acrylic and not, you know, eat a meal for a couple of days to sort of make up the price or um, save for it. Now, you might laugh at that. You might scoff at that. 
But that was a reality, and it's not that dreadfully long ago in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, I have had people say, oh, it must be lovely to be able to afford such wonderful British yarns and things like that. I, I consider every yarn purchase I make, and I always stick within my means. And I, and I think a lot of us are like that. I think that some yarns are just too much of a considered purchase for us when it comes to buying sweater quantities of yarn um, I will always consider for myself what is uh, something that is gonna be a great material that's gonna last a long time um, and I try and equate that with cost I don't have a lot of hand dyed garments I tend to buy yarns and spend money on yarns that I know is, is gonna sort of um, have a long life that's just my own personal approach but when it comes to what I show on here I really do try um, to have the gamut I try and have a very very wide range so I will talk about and write about Jimison's of Smith um, which you can currently buy their um, two-ply jumper weight uh, in 25 gram balls uh, for £2.95 per ball you know I talk about uh, West Yorkshire spinners all the time and how incredible value they are and then I will talk about hand dyed and I will talk about um, minimally processed small batch yarns naturally dyed that cost more because of the process that has gone into creating that and the skill that's gone into creating that um, and I will always strive to do that but I think it's really interesting I sort of wandered into a Ravelry discussion where people were talking about workshop prices exploit those who wish to partake of them because they cost so much and workshops again they are a considered purchase you have to weigh your wish and want to learn that skill um, against I guess the other classes that are on offer um, but you also have to think that there are materials involved and there might be a lot of work that's involved in creating um patterns and samples for the event and all of the teachers time and their valuable skills and their work um, it's really an experience when I use the word affordable on this podcast please understand that I say that with the caveat that affordable is different to every single person and, the, and it doesn't mean the same as it meant Five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, so when I use the word affordable, I certainly don't mean um, to say cheap because I know what's inexpensive to one person is very expensive to another person. When I use the word affordable, what I'm trying to mean is um, a, a cost that is appropriate to most people although I, I know that's uh, that's problematic but it's just interesting and um it's it's really good I'm really glad that this is another conversation that we're having um because gone are the days where we just knitted and we didn't talk about stuff like this we need to banish those days we need to be open and honest about these things so that is going to be it for this episode of the Knit British podcast in a slight change to what I might have just said and I'll probably just edit it out because the podcast 
will be coming back in October. I'm going to change the dates for the forthcoming rule exploration. Norfolk Horn deadline will be the end of September and the Welsh Mountain Group oh, sometime around the end of October, beginning of November and those will be our final two breeds for the year. And then I'll have to think of the breeds that we're going to do in 2020. That sounds scarily quick, doesn't it? Let's just say hello to some of the new kids in the Ravelry group. We've got Super Kip, who is Natalie from the Netherlands. We've got a crafty scientist who is Isabel. Hi to you. We've got Nick's Knitting Sticks, uh, Nicola from Halifax. CKP1970, hello to you over there in um, eastern Massachusetts. We've got Peppy T, who's Susan from Sussex. We've got Emma Dale um, from the UK. Hi to all you guys. And recently in the Hello Threads, we've had JJo1, uh, who says she's just discovered the podcast and now needs to do some binge listening, if there is such a thing. Oh yeah, there's such a thing. Um, she uh, loves tin can knits and... Uh, you're right that they think of everything. I have knitted several of their products and I've been ha very happy with them all. Um, I don't know if I met you at the weekend, JJO1. Um, I did a lot of talking about tin can knits at the weekend. Uh, I had my vivid blanket, knit British blanket, that Cathy Scott of Stitch Mastery made for me. And I also have um, had my polygons from the Wool Exploration, which are all um, to become part of the Tin Can Knits polygon uh, blanket. So um, I did speak a lot about them at the weekend. So if if uh, if you were there and I spoke to you about Tin Can Knits, that was really nice. Um, a crafty scientist, Isabel, um, she also says hello. She says, I'm a scientist and a lecturer by day, a Portuguese living in the UK for many years now and living in Hull. I've dreamt of knitting an authentic Gansey as I have explored fab east and northeast coastal villages i love 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 wool it's definitely my favorite fiber with linen second i am portuguese after all and slowly learning about british breeds and collecting their yarn there are so many she says i've just started listening to the podcast and would love to take part in wool exploration one day i'm crossing my fingers that you have not done hebridean as they are not on the list um, and I have some lovely Daughter of a Shepherd DK and Jacob and Gotland waiting to be done. And I just love these. Well, Isabel, we might be doing Hebridean in 2020. Um, also, please feel free to take part in the Jacob and Gotland um, wool exploration anyway. Those chat threads are still open and you can still upload your reviews into the Google, into the Google form to um, add your review to the collective reviews. Um, so that would be wonderful if you wanted to take part in that. And then we also have Bryony83, who's from Cambridge. She says she's normally a silent lurker on Ravelry groups, but KB seems to be a friendly community, and I thought I would be brave and introduce myself. I'm slowly catching up on the podcast episodes on my cycle to work and while knitting and loving it. Thanks so much, Louise. I especially enjoy the introductions to different breed wools and producers i'm looking forward to expanding my horizons from a jimison and smith obsession there's nothing wrong with that my friend uh, and more consciously knitting british or from stash i love knitting with wool and there's so much lovely local sheepy wool to choose from 
that's lovely. Thank you so much, Bryony, um, and everyone who uh, takes part in the Knit British community, even the silent lurkers. You are also part of the lovely community we have over there. Um, so thank you so much for saying hello. What have I got planned for my pod break? Well, in September, I will be going to Shetland. Um, not for Shetland Wool Week, sadly. Um, I'm going to be in a wedding and so I'm going to be spending uh, just slightly less than a couple of weeks at home. So very looking forward to um, spending quality time with family and friends, but also in that lovely landscape. I'm not going to be going to Perth Festival of Yarn just because it's just a couple of days before I go up to Shetland and they're just, again, energy-wise, things like that. I just have to look after myself. So, um, But to all of you who are going, have an absolutely amazing time. Um, I hope that you um, really, really enjoy it. Uh, and then in October... Well, I think I can probably tell you that I am going to be going to find fetal fibres in Felton uh, on the 12th of October for a day of a day of wooliness with special wooly guests. I can't say any more about that because I have to let, be patient and let Judith uh, tell you all about it. But I will do a blog post on that. Um, neither the time um, so I'm very much looking forward to that um, and then the podcast will be, will be back around the end of mid to end of October um, also um, going on uh, currently is the third quarter of uh, the Good Intentions Club so you can join in with that if you're looking for something to do occupy your time and um, while there's no podcast you can join in anytime uh, with any yarn or uh, that you've got in your stash that you bought specifically for a project just join in I think the the fourth and final quarter of Good Intentions uh, starts on the 1st of November but I'll be back uh, before that um, so when the podcast comes back uh, around mid to end October it will be 120 uh, of the Woolwork podcast. Um, I'm not going to rename all of the old episodes. That's just time consuming and just um, neglects the wonderfulness that we've made in it British. So uh, when I speak of episodes from the past, they will be episode what have you of the Knit British podcast. But from episode 120, it's the Woolwork podcast. Looking forward to bringing you that um, episode in October. Um, enjoy the rest of the summer and I will meet you right back here when it will be autumn and um, won't we look forward to that sweater weather. <laughs> Until then my friends take very good care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Knit British Podcast. To find out more, visit www.knitbritish.net. Take care of that throat. You're a big singing star now, remember? This California dude is just a little heavier than usual tonight. Really? From where I stand, the sun is shining all over the place.